Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hand in Hand Show, Art of Drogue Focus. Today, we're going to Mark Garman, another podcast, and we'll get into that. But Mark is a father, he's a husband, and he's a stroke survivor. He knew from the very first date that uh, his now wife was, he was going to marry her and be the mother of his children. And he has four children. He had a stroke when he was 15, but he's gone on and he received his MBA in four years at uh, California Baptist University through hard work and determination. And it wasn't until a few years later that he discovered his path in life was us as stroke survivors. So, hello, Mark. Hey, Pam. How are you? Um, Tell us, you had your stroke at 15, and it was, if I remember, by an AVM malformation. Yeah, um, so I had seizures all my life, you know, and when I uh, I was nine years old and I had a seizure and the doctor kind of just chalked it up to a fluke incident. And then I had another seizure at um, 11 years old and it was in Yuma, Arizona, and I was at school. And Yuma, Arizona, you know, the, the nickname for Yuma, Arizona is the devil's armpit because it's super hot there all the time. So when, yeah, when I, when I was playing soccer at school, I was wearing pants, and it was 115 degrees out. So they chopped it up to that. Um, instead of running tests, figuring out what was going on, they just said, ah, you know, he had a seizure because – he was playing soccer in 115 degree heat in pants, you know. Yeah. And, and then in 1996, I had a really large one at home. You know, I came down and I sat next to her and I said, I feel funny, you know. And then from there, I just started uh, seizing. And when I say seizing, I mean like flopping like a fish out of water. Um pretty severely, and uh, from there, you know, they finally said, well, let's run some tests here and see what's going on. So they did a CAT scan and MRI and found out that I had a fairly large AVM in my brain. That was around Christmas time in 1996, so, you know, it was kind of left up to me, actually, you know, because before that, I was an all-star soccer player. Um, I played soccer for nine years. Um, I was pretty good. You know, I had traveling teams scouting me, you know, wanting me to come and play on their traveling teams. Every I was a middle fullback, uh, which is the one that controls the defense. So every uh, – team that I played on we always had the lowest number of goals scored on us and this and that and you know that's why you know the traveling teams would come and scout me and whatnot so moving back to you know the the time frame um so it was kind of like left up to me um whether or not to proceed with the surgery to remove the AVM uh you know the doctors you know, told us, you know, what could potentially go wrong, 
you know, they gave us the numerical statistics of what could happen, you know, if I did the surgery, what could happen if I didn't do the surgery, um, if we did radiation, if we did this, different types of procedures. And, you know, I wanted to play football. This all happened my uh, freshman year in high school. So I really wanted to play football in school, and they wouldn't let me play because of my ABM. So I said, you know what, I want to get the surgery. I want I want to live a normal life. So in March 10th of 1997 is when I went in to get my surgery done. And I can remember it clear as day, you know, waking up at 3 o'clock in the morning driving down to UCSD Medical Center in um, San Diego and just being excited. You know, I wasn't scared. Um, I was excited just to, you know, move on with my life, Um, you know, get the surgery. Yes, it was a large surgery. Yes, I was only 15 years old, you know, but I was just excited to move on with my life and get this, get this part over with, you know, and, um, I just remember getting wheeled down to the basement, or I was in the basement is where they had their operating rooms, and getting wheeled down to the the operating room, and that was my first experience with uh, a robot. So they had, I asked the I asked the one of the nurses, I said, "What is that?" She said, "Oh, that's our our robot. They we punch in a code, and it delivers the files." to wherever we want to take it. So I thought that was pretty neat. But, um, so yeah, anyways, <laughs> right? <laughs> it is right. kind of neat. I was waiting to hear if it was going to perform the surgery or something. <laughs> right, yeah. I think that's a little too early for that, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, I go into the, the operating room and, uh, you know, the next thing that happens is... You know, I wake up um, a month and a half later. So so from there, uh, the reason why I woke up a month and a half later is because, you know, they went in to perform the surgery and my brain swelled. So they had to abort the surgery. And because of the swelling in my brain, it caused me to have a stroke. And my right lung collapsed. So they had to give me a tracheotomy, put me in a barbiturate coma. And uh, when they went in to go back and finish the surgery, they found out I had water on the brain. So they put in a cerebral shunt right here. Then they went in again to attempt to remove the AVM. They found out that the shunt got infected, which caused the bone to get infected. So they uh-huh. remove the bone, replace the shunt, then they go back in, you know, to do the surgery. They go in and, you know, remove the AVM. So they thought CAT scan MRI proved that they didn't get the whole AVM. So they had to go back in and finish to get the rest of the AVM. Uh, a month and a half later, you know, I wake up from my coma, you know, obviously, you know, in shock because. I couldn't move. I couldn't talk because my trach was in. 
during my coma, I just remember having an extremely long dream of trying to break out of the hospital. And I did break out of the hospital. And where I live in Camp Pendleton, the freeway there is the 5 freeway. And I'm running along the 5 freeway towards Camp Pendleton because my dad was in the Marine Corps and we lived on base. And I'm running towards Camp Pendleton. And my mom drives by me uh, in her van. And I'm like, Mom. And so I try to run after her. And obviously, you know, I can't catch her. So I turn back around. And then I realize I don't have my ID card to get on base. So I decide to go down to the beach and then go back around and take this shortcut that we used to take to get down to the beach. So I do that. And as I'm walking up towards the hill to my house, um, that's when I wake up from my phone. What about afterwards? Did you? Yeah, just like with, I must say, 99% of the stroke survivors, because I've met quite a few of them, and I've met a lot of stroke groups, you know, we have to learn pretty much how to do everything all over again, you know, um, so I had to learn how to use my left hand again. Um, I had to learn how to talk. I had to learn how to walk again. You know, so I started out with the pal- parallel bars, um, with them holding on to me with the gate belt and all that. And then I graduated to a walker, a wide-based four-prong cane, a small base four prong cane, and this whole time I'm wearing a helmet because I have no bone right here. Mm-hmm. So um, by the time I went back to school, I missed my whole freshman year. So by the time I went back to school my sophomore year, uh, I had a small base four prong cane wearing a helmet. So, you know, you could imagine, you know, being, you know, your high school years are kind of like, you know, one of the most, like, fundamental years in your childhood. You know, it's kind of like what, what molds you, you know, in essence as as you become an adult, you know. And kids can be cruel, you know. They can. They really can. And I didn't find in any way, shape, or form, I didn't get any um, any teasing or anything, you know, wearing a helmet, having a cane, you know, my left, my left arm, you know, kind of being like this a little bit, you know, obviously, you know, I can do this number here now, but that came obviously with a lot of hard work and determination. Yeah, everyone at my school, San Clemente High School, shout out, um, everyone at my high school was super nice. Um, I graduated high school in three years, so I was probably, like, one of the only seniors taking six classes, but I did it. And come time, uh, my junior year is when I got a plate put in here. So it took three years to get a plate put in, and then that's when I didn't need my uh, helmet anymore. And yeah. by the end of my junior year, I didn't need any more walking devices. So this is interesting to me. You had to have had some great friends because a lot of people I know as adults talk about how they lose their friends during all of this. It sounds like you had friends that really supported you during your recovery. 
Oh yeah, hundred um, percent. I had a core of I had my best friend uh, Justin Sweet, his mom Sonia Sweet, who was uh, or is kind of like my second mama. Um, so you know, I had she would come and visit me uh, almost daily. Um, you know, and I love that lady to death. You know, she would come and visit me almost daily when I was in the hospital because her work was right there by where I was. So, you know, she would swing by and, you know, say hi, stay with me for half an hour to an hour after she got off work, which, you know, obviously, as you know, being in the hospital, it's, it can get lonely in there, you know, and just having someone come in and sit there and chat with you for a little bit, you know, it's amazing. You know, it, it makes you feel good. It makes you feel like, you know, you're, you're still cared about, thought about, you know, so there was that aspect. And then, you know, when I got out of the hospital, obviously they lived right across the street from me. So I would be over there constantly. So it was Justin, my best friend, and then it was Lisa. Um, and then it was her sisters and then my sister and then, uh, Kevin, Amber, Colleen. So that was that was the core friends. Yes. So we did have a pretty good, pretty good set of friends there that that were there from the beginning and the aftermath, so to speak. Yeah, that's yeah. Uh, that's just incredible because I I know other stories and other people and um, you just don't find that very often. So you were very fortunate. Um, yeah. in that. Um, but then you, you got through high school and you went to college. Yeah, I didn't go to college until, uh, you know, I don't want to make it seem like everything was all um, hunky-dory, you know what I mean? I did go through um, rough patches. Um, I actually found a pretty decent job at a, a fairly large manufacturing device company in my area. And, you know, obviously there's a stigma that comes along with having a visual handicap, mm -hmm. you know. So when I got uh, brought on as a temp for this, uh, this company, you know, I was put at the lowest, uh, quote-unquote, lowest station at this, this manufacturing device company. So, you know, as, as uh, everyone knows that has had a stroke, you know, we we can't do things, and I don't really like to use the word can't, but we we can't do things that a normal person can do with two hands, mm -hmm. but we figure out a way to get it done. Right. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I was at the station, and I crushed it, you know, and I ended up writing a few red lines, and a red line is – uh, you submit the red line and it changes the um, the process of how the manufacturing process is done. So I submitted a few of those and I was able to pump out enough parts and, you know, yeah. get them to where they needed to go. And then I ended up making my way up, up, up to distal proximal, which is considered the heart of the line. And um, uh, continually as each station 
and I kept on writing red lines and whatnot. And then I was having engineers coming to me saying, hey, you know, I'm having XYZ problem on this line. How do I fix it? You know, and then I'd be like, oh, this is what's going on. This is what you want to do. You know, this and that. So, you know, it's not about what has happened to you. It's about how you pick yourself up and, you know, move forward. So uh, I actually found my first wife there um, at, at this large manufacturing device company. And we uh, got married. I would, I applied for a job there. I got the job. I was making a substantial amount of money. And I ended up losing that job because I made a boneheaded decision. Um, you know, the, the words, uh, the vows through thick and thin uh, did not apply there. And I'm extremely grateful for that because the wife that I have now is super amazing, you know. And so, you know, needless to say, that didn't work out. I had to move back in uh, with my parents and everything, and it was just a terribly rough time for me. You know, so like I said, I didn't want to make it seem like everything was hunky-dory after, you know, I had my surgery and you know I conquered you know my feet and was able to walk again and all this you know I went you know I had my up and down yeah my, my roller coaster you know and then uh my sister said you know what let's we're gonna get an apartment why don't you come in and move in with us and you can watch the kid, her kids, you can watch the kids, you know, full time and we'll split the apartment rent three ways. So that's what we did. And I said, you know, what? I want to change my life around. I'm going to start going to school full time. So I watched the kids in the morning while they were at work. And then at night I started going to school full time. I got three AAs, business management business administration and technical or drafting technologies. And then I started going to CBU, California Baptist University. And um, I actually worked with my wife uh, 10 years prior at Carl's Jr. Uh, just a brief stint. We were both in different relationships. It was just kind of like uh, – you know, we're on opposite shifts, so we didn't really know each other, you know. We knew each other, but it wasn't really like, hey, how you doing? You know, like, hey, let's, you know, whatever. But, yeah. Um, yeah. So my wife and my sister had mutual friends. And my uh, wife posted on Facebook, guys suck, or something like that, because something happened with one of her relationships. So the mutual friend said, you should date Mark. He's a nice guy. And I said, I don't got time for that. On the post, I said, I don't got time for that. You know, I'm too busy with school. So I'm driving home from school one time, one night, and I'm bawling. I am bawling 
I'm like, oh my god, I'm so lonely. You know, I'm so lonely. I need a I need I need yeah. somebody. I need I need a partner. You know, and I'm literally like, <laughs> you know, one of those type of bawling. You know, and and then it was like, hey, you know, like Shannon. You know, like I should hit her up. You know, and so I messaged her on Facebook. I said, hey, you know, let's let's meet up for coffee. So we go to Starbucks, and that very first day, I was like, she's going to be my wife. She's going to be the mother of my children. So we went out. A few, the funny thing is we went out of like three or four more times, and those three or four more times, she thought that we were still catching up. Because that's what I said in the original message, like, let's catch up, you know. So those three or four more times, she thought we were still catching up, you know. Yeah. And I was like, we're already boyfriend and girlfriend, you know what I mean? <laughs> so did she figure that out? I think I think it kind of just, like, evolved into that after, you know, I kept was, I don't I honestly don't know, to be honest. I think it. I think it. She kind of finally just got the hint, like, oh no, this this isn't catching up anymore. You know what I mean? You kind of hit on it at the very beginning, but or somewhere in between here. But um, you had written to me about choices. Yes. So let's talk about choices and and how you. Well, how you came about to figure this out and, and what it really means to you. Yeah, so one of my mottos is choices determine your future in any situation, any situation that you come across. With the situation you're walking along, a choice comes, do I go this way or do I go that way with, your, with you know, the choice that is put in front of me? You have a, the situation that we're all put in here our viewers, you, I, you know, we have the stroke or whatever. And, you know, we're either left to pick ourselves up and get better, you know, do the therapy and whatnot and progress and what we're doing in, or we're either left with to sit there and wallow and self-pity. So, you know, the the decision is up to you, you know, so to, that's where the choices determine your future comes from. It applies to anything. So let's say, for instance, like you come to a crossroad and there's no such thing as a bad choice, right? Because what happens when you make a decision and it... You think at the time, like, man, that was such a dumb decision, right? But in reality, it might have been a bad decision, but at the same time, it was a learning experience, right? Yep. So in reality, it wasn't a bad decision because you learned from it. So that's where choices determine your future come, comes from. Well, and it's like um, I've read several stories about people, and you have a choice. You can wake up every morning and say, I'm going to have a great day, or you can wake up every morning and say, ugh, it's morning again. And if you choose 
you know, I'm going to have a great day, great morning. It may not be perfect, but it, it's going to be a good day. Speaking, speaking on that, you know, I also have, I use positive mental attitude a lot, PMA. And that's kind of like what you're talking about, you know, and, and it also aligns with uh, laws of attraction. Um, so you wake up, like you said, you wake up, you think I'm going to have a good day. I'm going to have a, you know, fantastic day, this and that, you know, positive mental attitude. And that is so important for one's recovery. You know, if they think I can't do this, you know, eventually, you know, you, no matter how hard they try, if it's re resonating in their brain that they can't do it, unfortunately, you know, they're not going to be able to do it. Right. You know. Right. I, I remember being at therapy um, at, in the rehab hospital and a woman just stating, I can't, I can't, I can't, and she wouldn't even try, and I finally, I got tired of it, and I said, okay. I said, so you can't. I said, guess what? You're not going home. Yeah. And she walked the whole bar, you know, after that. And and the therapist couldn't tell her what I told her because um, they can only encourage. Right. Nicely. And I just put it as blunt as you could get. And she did it. So, and you and I talked about this, and, and we're going to get into that also when I was on your show, you just take that word out and say, I can, or I can't do it right now, but I'm working towards it. Um, but take the negativity out and just do it. Just try it and then just keep going. It, it's just part of what we do. Yep, yep, I agree. Yeah. Along all those lines, uh, I talked about you interviewing me a little bit. So tell us about the Determined Show, which you host, and how that came about. I do. I do host it. Yeah. yeah. So um, it's it's actually really cool. You know, my sister uh, has been telling me for a few years now that I need to share my testimony um, with people to inspire, you know, to inspire them to use it as inspiration. And um, it wasn't until I went back to my father's house in Missouri, my cousin got hit by a semi and she suffered a stroke from it. And pretty much all the effects from the collision uh, and her stroke was pretty much identical to mine. Uh, Affected the whole left side, tracheotomy, um, had to relearn how to do everything all over again, you know. So she's watching me. Um, she's watching me, how I get around the house and whatnot, and how I'm doing things with my left hand and this and that. So, you know, it's kind of like giving her uh, hope that, you know, she can get better, you know. Right. So that was when I was like, you know what? I got to get on this, what my sister's been telling me to do for years. So, you know, that was the spark of it all. And I started brainstorming, started writing things out and this and that and getting everything all put together for my website. Um, 
my mission statement, my bio, and all that stuff. And once I got everything all put together, I think I started sometime mid-January, end of January, something like that. What is your takeaway from all of this? I'm a firm 100% believer whether you believe it's faith-based or not. I am believe that everything happens for a reason. Um, you can look at anything in your life, um, and I'm, I'm serious, you can look at anything and realize, you know, look back and be like, oh, like, that happened because this is what happened, or this is where I'm at now, you know what I mean? Granted, you know, Yes, we went through a traumatic event in our life, um, as in having a stroke now. But I can look back and say, you know, yeah, I don't know where I would be. Could I be in a better spot if I didn't have a stroke? Could I be an all-star soccer player if I didn't have a stroke? It's possible. I don't know. You know, um, but what I do know is that I had a stroke. I have an amazing wife now. I have four adorable kids now. So that's why I think in my bio, you know, it's it's very it's very uh, hard for me to get upset about when something happens. Um, yeah. Because I know that it happened for a reason. You know, whatever uh, right. happened in that very moment happened for reasons. And that's another point to bring up. Because stroke survivors always are asking, always, why me? Exactly. Well, there is no answer to why you. It's, it's why did, you know, that person die and you didn't. We don't know what Necessarily. Okay, here I go. Um, <laughs> we don't know the why, and we don't know um, any of that. But there's there's a whole thing that I wanted to say, but it's gone. Well, here's here's my reply. <laughs> here here's my reply to that. You know, um, my reply to that is why not you? Yeah. You know and. One of the things that I also say is, you know, pave a path for others to follow, you know, because you always have people watching you, right? Whether it be your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, your uncle, your cousin, even the neighbor across the street, you know, they're like, wow, you know, look what happened to Cam. Look what happened to Mark. Look what he's going through. Like, how the heck is he going to overcome this? How the heck is she going to overcome this? You know, always watching you, you know. And so pave a path for others to follow. So, you know, if you're pounding the pavement and you're getting through and transforming yourself and overcoming all these hurdles and obstacles and whatnot, and they're just like in awe of how, you know, you overcame all this stuff. So when something happens in their life and they're like, man, this is freaking small potatoes compared to what Cam went through. You know, 
I can get through this, no problem, you know. So that's another thing that I say is pave a path for others to follow. And and so that's so true. So, um, you know, we may never know the why this happened, but like you said, you know, maybe you're bridging a new path. Maybe, you know, people will follow you. Maybe people will see your struggles and think theirs aren't so bad. We don't know how our reactions or how we get better is going to affect somebody else. Uh, I know that that there's a lot of people out there that I never would have met if I hadn't had the stroke. There are many things I wouldn't have done had I not had the stroke. Um, You know, so maybe it was to forge new pathways for myself and try new things. Yeah. Would I have met my husband if I hadn't had my stroke? I don't know. Our paths cross many times, apparently. You know, we both worked at Six Flags within a year or two of each other. If we weren't there at the same time, we both uh, lived in the same area for a year. I, you know, who knew? I think we decided we didn't go to the same elementary school, but is there anything that you want to tell our stroke survivors? Yeah, so I do the Determined Show, like Cam has stated, it's on Thursdays at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. So if you want to check it out, just go to uh, my Facebook page, which Cam will post the link to. Right, Cam? Yes. Yes. Thank so, you. You will do that for us. Right. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, my concluding thoughts for everyone is, you know, as kind of like what you know, we were talking about already, you know, is, you know, whether you don't see it in that exact moment, because, you know, it it is something that you can be hit in the face with, you know, punched in the gut, like, dang, like, why, like, why is this happening to me? You know, there's always an underlying reason, you know, just give it time to resonate, pick yourself up, keep moving forward, keep pushing forward. Sometime down the road, whether it's six months, a year, three years, you're going to be able to look back on that experience and just be like, oh, that's why it happened. You know, just give it time, continue to push forward. You got this. We got this. We're all in your corner. We're all here for you. Hashtag team determined. <laughs> I like that. Um, Mark, I hope at some point that you come back and talk with us again because I do enjoy talking with you and I love your positive attitude and um, I enjoyed being on your show. That was that was a lot of fun for me. So anyway, I hope everyone enjoyed um, today's talk, either found some useful information or have a new podcast to also listen to. Thank you for listening to the Hand in Hand show, again, a part of Stroke Focus. And thank you, Mark, for being with us. And I'll see you all on the radio again. Hey, thank you so much, Cam. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Hand in Hand show. We hope you enjoyed it. If you would like to keep the discussion going, Please join Stroke Focus, the social media website dedicated to stroke survivors and caregivers. 
Her website address is https colon backslash backslash www.strokefocus.net Stroke Focus is S-T-R-O-K-E-F-O-C-U-S Stroke Focus is a part of Wohala, which in Mandarin means I have survived. If you wish to be a part of the show or would like to be interviewed as part of the show, please contact us at contact at strokefocus.net.